Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. I'm your host at The Visual Workplace, our weekly radio show on letting the workplace speak. I'm really happy to be here. I'll tell you, uh, our day, our Easter was so beautiful out here in Oregon last Sunday, or if you're in the, in the beginning of your Passover, it was so beautiful. It helped me remember why I moved out here. And today I forgot. <laughs> today it's gone back to gray. But um, there's something about spring and the and the sun when it arrives with all the beautiful, beautiful flowers that just brings me right back into a great deal of happiness. And also now that I'm talking with you. So each week on this radio show, we look at some aspect of workplace visuality and how to embed it, how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the physical landscape of work through visual devices. So we can reap the huge financial and cultural benefits, 15 to 30% increase in throughput. I just heard from our friends down in Australia who did this in an engineering office, a gentleman named Brian Levitin, who is uh, in charge of uh, Lean Australia, I believe is the name of his company, Lean Australia, yeah. Uh, and he did it in an engineering company. And he got a 30, they got a 34, a 34% increase in their productivity. Because of visuality, really, really quite amazing. They actually focused in their offices on interruptions as being the most uh, virulent form of motion moving without working in their particular work setting. So it's really there. Huge financial benefits, huge cultural benefits. We're going to be talking about that today. And we get to enjoy ourselves at work. We can actually enjoy ourselves at work. We connect much more deeply with the work and with ourselves. So last week, we looked at some of the success factors when you implement visuality. Do you remember? We talked about starting small, doing your own learning first, creating a demo. We talked about not relying on blitzes at the beginning. It is actually not the right formulation at the beginning of your launch to um, implement visuality. We talked about not fiddling with the methodology. If you found a good methodology, vetted it, brought it in, well, then follow it. Learn it and then tweak it. We think three iterations is usually enough for you to then begin to fiddle. (laughs) We talked about getting everyone trained. Everyone gets trained on all shifts equally. Try to do it all within a single week. And number four, if you're making a list, I'm sorry, number five is provide training that dazzles, that seduces, that intoxicates, dazzling examples of visuality that demonstrates the principles of visuality. It doesn't matter what your industry is if you've got strong example and you examples and you look at those examples from the point of view what of what principles they hold, they will teach you and they will excite your brain. They will make those synapses fire and you will want one for your you will want some for yourselves. And then the last one, number six was leave the grouches alone. But we didn't have enough time to address that properly. Leave the grouches alone. So that's what we're up to this week. And you know what? It's going to take the whole show to do it. I've decided uh, that I want to spend a whole show on this and bring in some of my um, 
thinking uh, over the last 20 or 30 years. I hope you find this interesting. Um, and, you know, I've learned about these keys the hard way. I have failed decisively at the beginning of the 1980s, and I didn't even know I was failing because I didn't know what success looked like. So I failed, and I just kind of plotted along making small tweaks, and then suddenly I would understand how very wrong I had been, how I had been learning. I was doing my f- first cycle with my clients. I apologize for that to all of you who worked with me then. We did a lot of good things together, but it took me a while to get the flavor of visuality and to understand how to implement. So before we jump in, I just have a few comments. First, thanks for keeping the emails coming in. I really appreciate it. And they're good ones. I got a really substantial one last week from a gentleman who listens in quite regularly. He was very respectful very appreciative. He used a lot of words, but his bottom line was, Gwenny, could you please get to the point a bit more quickly and a bit more clearly? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, it was very elegantly put. And since he is the wheel that squeaked most recently in that regard, he is my governor today. So I want to say thanks, Joe. And by the way, I happen to agree with you. Now, let me see. Where was Oh, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's a reminder about some of our visual uh, thinking seminars open to the public that are coming up. April 23rd and 24th, we're going to be right outside of Manchester with a visual thinking um, seminar, and then we're going to do a visual plant assessment at a food producer, very famous food producer, PepsiCo. And then two days later, on the 26th and 27th, we'll be at an aerospace assembler uh, Corin in Gloucester. That's not too far away because it, uh, you know, you can get almost anywhere in England in about three and three and a half, four hours. So we can make the jump to go south. We started north. Those are good for our listeners in either Europe. I think they might almost be sound uh, sold out. We have these announcements on our website, and I think they're putting the links in right now as we speak. They ought to be in before we go home tonight. The following week, May 1st, we'll, I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida at the Shingo Prize doing a visual thinking seminar um, open to the public. That's on that Tuesday. And then, as you know, on Thursday, I meet with my brother for the awards gala, get my little award for work that makes sense. He's very proud of this, and I'm very glad he's coming. He's my hero, my brother. And then in June, on June 12th and 13th, I'll be in San Antonio, under the auspices of AME, doing a visual thinking seminar and, again, a visual plant tour assessment. This time we're going to be going to Global 2 Aerospace. That's Doug Kahlberg's plant, already an excellent plant, and he he wants to go deeper in visual. We were there about two or three years ago. I'm interested to see what progress he's made. I am sure it's been substantial. So you can visit our website, visualworkplace.com, for details and to look at our products and services and for those of you who um, asked, I got, we got a couple of emails on this, there is a link on our standard proposal when we first go into a plant on our homepage in the lower left. You'll find a link there, and you can just download the PDF and see how we configure that. Oh, and just one more thing. I want to say that I had a great conversation today, unexpected, from an HRVP in Rhode Island. Uh, they do automotive textiles, and they were thinking about bringing visual in, also thinking about value engineering, this and that, this and that. 
And at towards the end of the conversation, this fine lady, her name is Dorothy, said, wait a minute, you know, this visual stuff could really help our schools. Aha! I mean, kids really need that kind of, um, kind of stability, she said. And they, they'll have lots of ideas of how to make things visual. Well, I responded enthusiastically. We love to work with schools. We're all looking for a demonstration. And I said, look, you're completely correct. And in fact, nearly a hundred years ago, a woman named Maria Montessori, an Italian woman, um, a doctor, made the same connection, and she started the Montessori School. She intuitively understood the importance of place and order, sensory logic, and harmony. Basically, when you look at what she did, she gives each kid a spot that he or she can literally own when they're in it. And that is one of the most powerful aspects of a visual workplace. People really can own the space because they come to know it very, very well. Anyway, the match between visuality and schools is as tight as visuality and the workplace, but in a formative way. We can really help kids develop by giving them this kind of visual environment. Huge implications. The principles are the same. I'm going to let you think about that, but I also want to say, she went on to say, You know, we're on a tight budget, the school I'm thinking of. Do you think there's any way you could help? And I said to her, and I'm saying this to all of you, we want visualities, visuality to come to schools. We want them in our universities. And the first one that raises its hand that wants to become a demo site, we will support you and for cost only. It'll be long distance, but we want to partner with you. Hmm? Even the printing industry, we're looking for models in the printing industry because the printing industry really needs it, pharmaceuticals as well. Okay? So if she doesn't pick up the gauntlet, it's still, the offer still stands. We need demonstration sites, models, so people can see it in the setting that they recognize as important to them. So let's see what happens. Let's see. We'll do one in each industry, and, you know, that will teach us, teach all of us. But... There needs to be a group on site, wherever that is, a school, a university, printing industry, that's willing to do the work, that will commit to that. Otherwise, we're kind of pushing against a noodle, a cooked noodle. Okay, so that's the news. Now let's take a look at those grouches. The name of this show is Leave the Grouches Alone. That was our sixth a golden nugget about how to success, uh, how to, how to implement successfully. Leave the grouches alone. I've written quite a bit on this in first my 1997 book, Visual Systems, and then in my 2005 book uh, with the blue neutron on the cover, Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking. So I, I, I really do have a, a kind of point of view. And if you want to find it in print in those books, just look under grumblers instead of grouches or rowers who are the opposite end. When I talk and when we talk about these grumblers, these these grouches, what we're really talking about is how to deal with the will, the human will. Each of us has one. And how to get that will to align with the corporate intent. Okay, so that's the big framework. We're talking about, if you will, the right use of will. Okay, and as you... Already know grouches are everywhere. 
you want to do something, there's going to be grouches. There's going to be grouch, grumps. You want to do something old, they're grumpy. You want to do something new, they're grumpy. In fact, you can double it if we're going to do something new. So you know a lot of what I'm going to be sharing today. I want to put it into the context of both visuality and the work culture. In other words, take kind of intuitive understanding of how to, uh, how to deal with grouches, how you may naturally deal with them, and put it into a framework that you can actually have a business impact by dealing with them and an implementation impact as well. You will not have to struggle so much. You're implementing something carefully planned, lovingly deployed, and kabam, people pushed back. There's nothing new there, but let's look at a way to handle it. This is kind of the change management, organizational development end of things, but very, very relevant. So we're sliding into a break right now, and we'll pick this up substantially, I hope, uh, when you come back. I'll be here. Thanks. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn, and you have tuned in to our discussion of how to leave and why to leave the grouches alone when we're looking at how to be successful in our visual deployment. So, you know, since I started the show last fall, I promised you that visuality will strengthen an existing culture of continuous improvement, or if you don't have one, will help you create one. And I've seen this happen hundreds and hundreds of times. The principles and practices of workplace visuality, however, cannot take root 
or serve as a bridge to excellence if there are not enough people on board and participating. And I am not just talking about operators, although we're going to kind of focus on the operator level, but the same thing is exactly true for managers who can represent tremendous barriers to progress to these initiatives and also supervisors. And, you know, we talked about CEOs as well. Since their numbers are fewer in the organization, they tend to have a much greater impact. But if there are not enough people on board and participating, you're not going to have anything happening. You're not going to have a physical change. You're not going to have a thinking change. So that means you need to get X number of people to adopt behaviors that are, to a great extent, largely unfamiliar to them. They're going to have to learn new ways, new behaviors, new habits, New habits are not easy to develop. New behaviors are not easy to learn because you're going to have to unlearn the old ones first. The old ones can hold on really tightly, usually because they're embedded in mistaken beliefs, beliefs that have to be unlearned before the behaviors can be unlearned. And these uh, beliefs are linked to how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others. Okay, every day we make choices and we act based on beliefs that may be true, but may not be true. Or we may have beliefs that are a mix of both. This idea of how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others. So we're in the area of culture, of the work culture of an organization. And I shared with you before my own definition of work culture. Work culture is, and this is Gwendolyn's definition, this is me, is who we think we are and who we think the other is. Who we think we are, how we perceive ourselves, and how we perceive others, who we think the other person is. And a culture is aligned in my book when I know that I am you. When I know that I am you. Okay? So, unplugging beliefs and adopting new ones can either be exciting and uncomfortable or can be dull and uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. So let me describe a launch scenario. Okay, we're going to look at a, a, a company. Let's just say your company is two months into a visual conversion and some of the fundamental principles are beginning to take hold. Borders are cropping up, interesting functional borders, the kind I like, Workplace items are getting ID'd and they have a home address. People are beginning to do things differently as a result. They're putting things back. They're noticing when items don't come home on time. Their eyesight, their basic eyesight and insight are beginning to develop. A small group of people seem very motivated from the very beginning, enthusiastic, imaginative, full of energy and ideas. They act as if making their work areas more visual makes their day. How can they get so excited about finding exactly the right location for those coils, the perfect place? And in their spare time, and somehow they are able to find it, they work on some new visual mini system or other. Now, I've yet to talk to you about mini systems. They're not that hard, but we'll do that soon. But mini systems are a cluster of visual devices. John in the machine shop is figuring out a scrap separator system. Debbie, who's in supplier development, is working with Cindy on a visual display to help their two departments talk to each other and keep stockouts to a minimum. B 
Bill, who's an assembler, has come up with what he calls the ultimate workbench. They eat and drink and breathe visuality. And when asked why, they just give you some variation of visuality is an answer to my prayers. Now I know how to make my workplace sing. They may not say it like that. Now I know how to make my work make sense. But other people are not so involved, not so convinced. Some are busy with other improvement efforts so they don't have time for something new. But others are just waiting on the sidelines and mostly they watch. They watch Bill and John and Debbie and Cindy bring this kind of order out of chaos and they barely blink an eye. They don't mind visuality. It's no skin off my back, they say. In some sense, they even like the changes, the packing system that Bill created put an end to hunting for the small tools. They like the changes, but they just don't care to do it themselves. Maybe someday, but not yet. They're watching. They're waiting. Waiting to see, for example, if this visual thing will last. Waiting to see if management keeps up its end of the bargain. Waiting to see if Bill and John and Cindy get clobbered for their good efforts. And you and I know, this is Gwen talking to you, this sometimes happens in some plants. But anyway, until all of this is clear, they're not going to take a risk. I am not going out on a limb that I do not see. So those are our watchers. And then there are others, others who are a breed of part. They simply don't have anything good to say about anything else, anything, least of all this new visual thing. They may be managers, they may be associates, supervisors, In this particular company that we're describing, there's a little of both. Their list of worries and complaints and misgivings is long and it's familiar. John and Cindy and Debbie and Bill are convinced that visuality is vital to the running of their departments, to their own individual work, and maybe even to the company. And they feel upset that not everyone is on board. Why don't they join in? What are those people doing watching? And what are those people doing other people doing pushing back. So this might describe something like your current situation or maybe what you're heading for. But it doesn't have to be a barrier. It doesn't have to even change. And I want to make that point. This is the what is state. If if it is, don't focus on changing it. I would say if you were looking for words, focus on harvesting what's there. So I'm going to begin this part of the discussion by drawing a finer distinction between the kind of two camps I developed a moment ago, the difference between resistance and inertia, because that's what I'm describing when I'm talking about the watchers and the grouches. Inertia, watching, resistance, grouchy. Okay? We sometimes think that those two states are interchangeable or that that they're the same. If we think they're the same, we'll treat them the same, but we're mistaken. They are not. They are not. And our tendency is to label anything that isn't support as resistance. That's not true. We see it as a lack of cooperation instead of simply an adult preference. Now, without a doubt, there's going to be resistors, but there's another part 
a larger part that is actually simply inertia. So let's be precise in these definitions. The dictionary defines inertia as the tendency of a body at rest to remain at rest unless and until it is acted upon by an outside force, and then it'll do the opposite. So if it's at rest, outside force, we flick it with our finger, it moves, it'll roll, it'll roll, it'll be in that state of inertia, rolling, 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 until it hits another force, maybe a wall. In people terms, resistance might be interpreted as the decision to, I'm sorry, might be misinterpreted as the decision, I'm sorry, I was right the first time, resistance might be interpreted as the decision to actively oppose or hinder something. Inertia, on the other hand, occurs when people are already involved in ongoing work, such as other improvement activity or getting the production out, and they simply keep moving in that direction. With inertia, people will keep doing the thing they are currently doing until and unless something comes along that causes them to change direction, that gets them to shift. They're not resisting. They're simply continuing to move in the direction in which they have been moving. Inertia often applies to the tendency of a body, an object, to remain at rest you get a taste of this when people say, I just don't want to be bothered. And we would be mistaken to call such people lazy or sluggish or difficult. Take them at their word. They don't, they're not resisting you. They just don't want to be bothered. They're busy doing production. Not right now anyway. Don't bother me now. They're busy maintaining their current state of non-involvement. They're involved in something else. You know inertia is in the air when you hear people saying things like, we're doing just fine the way we are. That's not resistance. Or we can't afford the disruption. Or we've tried that before. Or how about this one? Quality is more important. Or getting the stuff out the door is more important. We don't have time to improve. We can barely meet production as it is. That is not resistance. Or we are already doing all we can. Do you see? Recognize inertia for what it is and realize that it can be harnessed in favor of the implementation. This is kind of the question of the human will again. It can be shifted. Bodies at rest, remain at rest, bodies in motion, continue to move in the same direction. The trick is to help people shift off of the zero point, rest, or change their direction. Okay? The emphasis here is help people take the first small step. The first small step. So we'll talk about that in a moment. First, I want to delineate resistance. Resistance is really defined so differently. Resistance by the dictionary tells us any force that tends to oppose or retard. In medicine, the term resistance refers to the ability of the body to do this. So it's a good thing. In electricity, resistance is a good thing because... It's the property that causes heat to be generated when an electrical current passes through an object. Also in flight, resistance keeps the darn (laughs) airplane in the air, the air resistance against the wing. Okay, so it can be good. But, you know, it's also a thousand ways to say no. (laughs) You're looking right in the throat of that. It doesn't fit the way we do things. We don't see anyone else doing it. Our employees are too set in our ways. We have too many products. Our organization is too complex. We're too small. We're too big. It can't be justified financially. 
it's not aligned with our current corporate measures. We don't have time. We don't have people. We have to concentrate on sales and shipment. You know, this is all resistance. <laughs> Neat and clean. This is visual workplace resistance. This factory, this is a factory, not a hospital. We're supposed to walk on these floors, not eat on them. So we're moving into a break. We'll pick this up when we come back. Thank you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Hi, thanks for coming back. We uh, are talking about leaving the grouches alone. How do we, how can we uh, plan for and organize for success in our visual rollouts? And one of the keys is to leave the grouches alone. They are almost irresistible. We all want to get our fingers on them. We all want to kind of mess around and change them. But anyway, they're saying no to us. You're saying no, 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 no. So when you want to see visuality or any improvement initiative that involves a lot of people, if you're doing six S, a six sigma, you know, it can, it's a kind of isolated project or you're doing design of experiments or even value engineering, it's kind of isolated. But for the massive, uh, conversions that we see going on in the culture in order to get business benefit, the continuous improvement that's going on, you got to get people involved. They're just a part of the, part of the equation. So you're going to see the forces of resistance and inertia afoot. And so then the question becomes, and it's a fair question, what can we reasonably expect from people? Can we reasonably expect them all to get on board? And if so, when? So I'm going to kind of tell you a little story that puts these watchers and grouchers together with the more positive people whom I call rowers. The bones of this story was a gift from my great sensei, Dr. Ryuji Fukuda, who wrote Managerial Engineering, who was a just a powerhouse at Sumitomo in the 1960s and 70s. He, he <laughs> shared his insight with me many, many years ago. It was much leaner then. Of course, I've made it more elaborate 
turned it into a kind of soap opera. It's called The Parable of the Rowers, the Watchers, and the Grumblers. Those are our grouches. So there you are. You and your company are embarking on a great journey. You've decided to leave the land of waste, the terrible land of waste, where you've spent so much time in searching and waiting and wondering and making mistakes and redoing and reworking and kind of uh, humiliating yourself at work and it's not your fault broken systems and you've decided to head out for a new world where clarity and visual order self-order reigns and to get there you have to cross a great ocean you're going to a new place leaving the land of waste and going to the land of operational excellence. You cross a great ocean, let's call that ocean the ocean of continuous systematic improvement. And to get across, you need a boat. Let's call it, uh, let's call it a, uh, the SS visual workplace. And you are on that boat. You are on that boat and you are not alone. You have other people on there with you and you are rowing. Rowing, your eyes are bright, your cheeks are red. You're breathing deeply. You are the rowers. And there are others on the boat with you, a group larger than you and your fellow rowers. And what are they doing? They are watching. They are watching you row. They are the watchers. And for the purpose of, the purposes of our discussion, let's just say that there are four rowers in the boat representing you and your group and eight watchers. So let's see. If four rowers and I'll say that those four rowers represents 25% of the workforce. Now, the formula is if you don't have 10% of the workforce that you can count on as being positive and involving, engaged, don't even begin the initiative. 25% is a hefty amount. 10% is minimal, but you can get something started. So let's say that those four rowers represent 25%. So if four rowers are 25%, eight watchers will be what? Yeah, 50%. 50% of the workforce is watching. But 25 and 50% do not 100% make. There's still 25% of the people not involved. They are not on the boat even. And those are your grumblers. Hmm? You have 25% of the people. If you're lucky, there's only 10%, but you're going to have 25% of the people in this scenario who are not at all happy with the change that you're trying to foist on them. They're either back in the dreadful land of waste, uh, catching rays, lying on the bed, on, on the beach in all the debris, grumbling that they've been abandoned. Others are in the water grumbling. <laughs> They're grumbling. They're swimming towards the boat with something nasty in their hands, a harpoon or an owl. That's A-W-L, something to drill a hole in the boat. They have damage on their minds. You better do something. <laughs> you better do something and quick. But what? And that is the question. That is the question. What do you do? Because what you do next will make all the difference between getting to your destination or getting stuck in the doldrums where the wreckage of countless other improvement efforts can be found. You may, for example, decide that you need to find out what is making the grumblers so darn grumpy. So you schedule, you and your other three rowers, schedule one-on-one appointments with each of the grumblers and you talk it out. 
you talk to them, you have a beer, you have a cup of coffee, you have a drink of water, whatever you're doing, you go for a little walk. And you come away from there saying, you know what? You have a meeting with your rowers afterwards. Hey, you know what? Charlie was making a lot of sense to me. Remember Charlie? Charlie's table? Or somebody else says, I couldn't understand a thing this guy was saying. I just know he's so unhappy. I don't know what's going on. And you're talking, you're talking at the other end of the boat. And while you're talking, what's happening? At the far end of the boat, the watchers are watching you. The watchers are watching you discuss the grumblers. And one watcher will turn to the other watcher and say, hey, what do you think? Is it time? And the other watcher will say, yeah, I think it's time. And the first watcher will say to the second watcher, do you want to go first or shall I? Second watcher says, you go first. And what happens to the watchers? The, the first watcher at the end of the boat stands on the side of the boat and forms into this fantastic swan dive and goes into the water. Kaboom, splash. And then another watcher jumps in and another watcher and another watcher. <laughs> and the rowers at the other end of the boat, they suddenly see what's going on. And one of the rowers says to his three comrades, I am going in too. And you lose one of the rowers, jumps over the side of the boat and into the water. Then another watcher goes, and then another rower says, you know what, I think it is time. Let's jump in. And in a little while, the boat is empty. We made a fundamental error. There is a fundamental error that was made. And the watchers knew about it as soon as you started to have a meeting about the grouches, about the grumblers. Watchers know about attention. They watch the rowers choose to pay attention. They watch the grumblers grumble, and they watched the rowers decide to do something about the grumbling. Watchers know what we know. We all know about energy. We know that is the coin of the realm. And we know whatever we give our attention to is going to be what grows. This is the old Heisenberg principle. Whatever we give our attention to grows. When rowers put their attention on the grumblers, the watchers knew the rowers were hoping to get the grumblers to change their mind, change their hearts and get on board. But the watchers know that they as watches, watchers are in charge of their own will and certainly grumblers are in charge of their own will. First of all, we're all adults. It's as true for children as it is for adults, but as adults, we have more power, physical power over children, so we can kind of get them to do our will, but not for long. Wait until they get a little older, then you'll see, as I saw. (laughs) The watchers know from years of watching that the grumblers are capable of eating up any and all the energy that comes their way. They're like black holes in the universe. Grumblers can suck rowers dry, and they often do. And rowers get more and more exhausted and disheartened, seeing that their well-intended efforts are not paying off. They become filled with self-doubt and anxiety. They take on the profile of the worrier. They begin to have misgivings about where they're going and how. They begin to doubt their own vision, and this can happen for managers as well. When watchers see this, they see the implementation going down the tubes. It's happened again. 
and then they do the only thing that makes sense to them. They jump ship. They join the grumblers in the water. And nearly, nearly right after that, the watchers, the, all the watchers bail and also the, the rowers. They just give up. They know the scenario. The grumblers have won. So that is kind of a, a profile of what can happen if we don't pay attention to the cultural elements. We have other choices and we need to exercise them. So this guy, you may know about him. Werner Heisenberg wrote about the, um, the his research with molecules and atomic structures pay attention to something and that which is observed responds. But remember, you may know Elton Mayo who did that Hawthorne experiment on the power of attention and gave us more evidence strengthened by the findings of hundreds of other studies that followed Elton Mayo. He published his book in the 1930s. Heisenberg, Physics and Philosophy, was 19, in the 1960s. Attention is energy. What, what it rests upon grows. It's a powerful force. When we pay attention to the grumblers in an implementation, pay attention to the grouches, we do two things that don't help. Hmm? The grumblers are past masters at being grumpy in ways that everyone will notice. They whine, they complain, they moan, they groan, they refuse, they sulk, they simply withdraw, they deny. Sometimes they go into sabotage, and of course that's not acceptable and not permitted. But in all of this, they like to grandstand, making sure, I suspect, that we notice their displeasure. They watch keenly for our response to their resistance. They seem fully aware that many an upstanding person will want to help them change their ways and, as it were, save them from themselves. (laughs) That's just what they're waiting for. Grumblers use their grumpiness to take us for a ride, their ride. And when they have had their way with us, meaning when we get even more wrapped up in the hope of reforming them or helping them, persuading them, they walk away. So let's see what happens in our little uh, drama after the next break. I'll see you in a moment. We're going to slide into a break, and I'll be right back. I hope you will, too. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. We're talking about leaving the grouches alone, leaving the grumblers alone as a commitment, as a principle of our implementation, as an implementation principle so that we can successfully implement we can successfully deploy visuality. I've said many times that visuality is about language. It's a very intimate part of our self-expression. And if you teach this properly and effectively, people will create visual devices as extensions of themselves. And you have to cultivate it. You're going to be cultivating visuality. So how you deal with the cultural mix that is there at the beginning is very, very important. I will do a show soon on systems dynamic and the importance of establishing a still point in your implementation. This is talking about that same theme, but in a much friendlier, less abstract way. But we are implementing principles of effectiveness as well as principles of visuality, how to implement effectively, how to get effective visuality. They go hand in hand. So when we pay attention to the grumblers, we do two things that don't help. First, we feed their basic pattern of resistance. They gobble it up. And second, we send a clear message that resistance is more powerful in attracting our attention than the more neutral behavior of the watchers. In both cases, both the watchers and the grumblers, these adults will get on board when they feel safe and ready. The watchers will shift. They'll pick up an oar, get a little crooked smile on their face. They're watching all the time. The grumblers will change their mind. The rowers, and the rowers may be managers or improvement leaders, and they may also be operators or supervisors or simply doing the work of creating visuality for their own work, they ended up paying more attention to the grumbling than to their own rowing, what they could positively input. And when they did this, the tide began to turn against the implementation. The watchers were already on the boat. They were already on board, but they felt overlooked. And indeed, the rowers did overlook the watchers because they looked at the grumblers. Okay? A grumbler or grouch can change sides at will 
One day they are against you. The next day they are at the head of the pack charging forward. And if you ask them what happened, this is, and I'm quoting now, what most of them will say. I changed my mind. And usually they'll walk away at that point because they don't want to give any more information. It's too personal. It has to do with their will. They are in charge of their own will, and they know it. It's one of the reasons why they're so powerful. They are unwaveringly in charge. The pivotal issue in the parable is the right of the individual to choose. It is this act of choosing to exercise our own will that puts the pull in the pull system we call a visual workplace. The power of choice can either work for or against the implementation, but we have to understand that it is a power. It is a power. The rowers in our parable made their choice. They decided to put their shoulder to the oar and row, and we respect that. Watchers chose, decided to wait, and we must respect that. And others decided to grumble, and we must respect that too. We have to respect people's right to choose. Otherwise, they simply are obedient. And if you've tried to get children to um, create a formed improvement conversion, it can't be done. <laughs> we want adults. Grumblers chose not to participate right now. They may never change their mind, like Charlie and Charlie's Table I talked to you about in December. They have their reasons. They let it be known that they wouldn't be caught dead laying down a border or putting things back. There are ways to work with grumblers, but the way is not a frontal assault to try to get them to change their mind. So rowers, what we do instead is we keep the rowers rowing. Rowers have two main jobs to do. They can influence positive direction by doing their own work, by modeling. And secondly, they can identify and pay attention to their own creativity and influence other people who are watching. Okay, it's the same thing. It's influencing by doing your own thing and doing it well. Okay. So it's very, very important for you to pay attention. If you're a senior uh, leader, then you pay attention to the rowers. And what that means is with the first indication of involvement or first visual device, you bring out the cameras, you bring out the CEO, you say, look at this, fabulous. You have, pay a tremendous amount of positive attention to the first signs of the shift, and you keep doing that. You make much of it. The watchers are watching, and the grumblers are too. And you don't give your energy to the grumblers, much as they want it. Hmm? They're in charge of their own will, and you have to respect that. I really like this approach. If you're, that's your job as a senior manager or thought leader, a change manager, you pay attention. It doesn't, you pay attention to the rowers. It does not mean, it would be wrong to mean that that meant creating an elite. Everyone gets trained. The way we put it is <clears throat> attendance is mandatory, participation is voluntary. Because participation is always voluntary. It's always a matter of the will. But you need to show up. You have to attend. You have to be in that place during the training, and everyone gets trained. When they see 
that the boat is steady and hasn't sprung any leaks, the watchers will shift. They'll begin to shift when they feel safe. People are worth this pause. It means going slow at the beginning. Go slow at the beginning and allow people to be themselves, to be authentically themselves, whether they're active, passive, cooperative, resistive, enthusiastic, grumpy, aggressive, indifferent. If they're sabotaging, then, you know, you got to do something about it. But just let the individual simply meet, be met where he or she is and accept that. That's your leadership role. The chances of change increase whether those changes are triggered by self-reflection or outside feedback. The workplace is not a therapist's couch. It is also not populated by perfect beings. Cultures in transition have many lessons to learn. They also have huge treasures to unearth. This is a harvest. You're cultivating involvement. These treasures are hidden in the congestion and complexity of the flow of material and information in the facility, but also in the congestion and complexity of our own hearts and minds. The hearts and minds of people who have given your company, given you, given the company 10, 20, 30, 40 years of their lives. They've taken their hits. They've persevered. They've gotten bruised. So it is fitting and right for us to provide them with the time and support they need to make this transition, both within themselves and eventually in the physical workplace. It's one of the beautiful parts of the visual workplace. It is physical. The change that happens there reflects the change that happens inside inside of us. Your employees want that excellence. Your employees came to work to become heroes, and that's part of your job. If the company has made no room for heroes, has no structured way through which that hero can be uncovered, revealed, and cultivated, it shrinks in us, even as we shrink at work. So, I hope that this has been a useful um, detour. I hope I did okay, Joe. Uh, I've tried. That was such a helpful email. I hope this has been useful to you and that these are lessons that I've learned and I present them to you as something that may be are useful in your own journey to workplace visuality. So <laughs> we are at the end of our show. Uh, next week we're going to interview Nada Grunden and his in her uh, lean-led hospital design, and then we're going to go into the four power levels of visuality, four power levels of visual devices. I look forward to it all. I am so glad that you are listening. I'm so glad that you've taken time to um, think about these things and to show up for this uh, information sharing, for this session. And I look forward to the next time. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am signing off. See you soon. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.